0: It's our mega series over two years, going through the entire Bible. We have some really good materials that are accompany. Each person should have received a packet like this for free, and it has tons of helpful information. There are some flip charts and journals that you can purchase as well uh, to go through as a family or personal devotion. And inside of these booklets, we have an at-a-glance sheet and uh, biblical blueprints for each book that shows the outlines, and we won't go through all these details in our message. We want to kind of make a higher level review, but I hope each week that you bring your book, I hope each week you will take these, these sheets that have been handy, hole-punched, and you can put them right in the back, and they can fo- they'll form an amazing resource for us as a family as we go forward. Also, just as a reminder here, the purpose of this message, the purpose of this mega-series, is not just a data dump. I mean, we do want to learn about the Bible. We really do want to learn about the Bible. But as I shared last week, and I want us to be mindful as we go through the purpose of Scripture. Two reasons. Scripture has two reasons. Two purposes. One is to reveal God to us. Scripture reveals God to us. We have no other way of knowing details about who He is, what He requires, what he, how He wants to interact with us, except through Scripture. And Scripture reveals God and it points to Jesus. Reveals God points to Jesus. If you keep those two things in mind as you're thinking about God's Word, the purpose of the Word, and when you're interacting with friends and family and other people, and your oikos, it will help you be mindful of why we use Scripture so much in our lives. The second thing is that that's the purpose of Scripture. Our purpose is to, especially through this series, is to increase our biblical literacy. Something that uh, our culture, our generations, is diminishing over time as the Bible fades from our cultural consciousness, is we need to know more about The Bible that's one of the reasons we're doing this series. But, of course, head knowledge is not all that. You know, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So one the reason that we want to be biblically literate is so that we can respond to God in faith and obey him. So knowledge, heart, obedience. Knowledge, heart, actions. These things working together, we will, they will glorify God. They will allow us to participate in building his kingdom. And it will it'll result in a happier and healthier life as a result too so as i was preparing for this message of the verse we, we read through psalm 119 at the beginning and and uh, the verse on psalm 119 says open my eyes that i may see wonderful things from thy law open my eyes that i may see wonderful things from thy law so as we were as i was preparing for this message on exodus that verse came to mind exodus is an amazing book it's an amazing book So I just thought I'd I'd talk about the structure of today's message, our service here, so you can kind of follow along. We've broken down Exodus into six major segments, so we're going to summarize the segment. I picked a key verse for each segment, always tough to pick one key verse out of multiple chapters. And then we're going to talk about how the scarlet thread from each of those segments. So the scarlet thread, as we talked about on several weeks so far, is how Scripture points forward to Jesus. What are the types? What are the symbols? What are things that are the people, the characters in Scripture didn't even realize what they're pointing to, but the Holy Spirit knew when he was writing this and putting this all together. So and then we're going to have, after we go through that uh, structure of Exodus, six different segments, I'll, we'll talk about the application, how we put this into practice in our own lives. And then after that's concluded, I'm going to call the children forward. So we're doing the children's segment at the conclusion of my message today, and they're all going to come forward. I've got something special for you kids that's under this table runner. And then after that's done, we'll put the kids will come back, sit with the families, and we'll do communion together, and that's when we're going to use the sheet that titled I should have been contents. So we'll cover all that more detail later on. So when we last left our heroes, we last left our heroes at the end of Genesis, God used Joseph to rescue his entire family. The entire family of Jacob joined Joseph in Egypt. And the people lived in Egypt for 400 years. They started off as, as honored guests, and Joseph was a ruler. But as the years and the decades and the centuries rolled by, the Egyptians forgot who they were and why they were there. But the, the Hebrews were obeying God's command to go forth, be fruitful and multiply, and they multiplied from a family of 70 to a nation of millions. And the Egyptians grew to resent them and fear them, and they eventually enslaved the Hebrews. They enslaved them. And it was hard, and it was bad. And they were forced to build cities for the Egyptians, and they were treated very cruelly. And as the years go by, it's easy, it's hard for me to remember what I did last week sometimes. But when years go by, things settle in. When decades go by, you forget what life was like before. And when centuries go by, which it did for the Hebrews, all they ever knew was enslavement and suffering and oppression at the hands of the Egyptians. And it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Israel cried out to God. In the midst of their suffering, they cried out to God. And it says that God heard them. The God of their fathers who allowed them to go to Egypt for protection and for growth. And they grew into a massive nation. And then he allowed them to be oppressed and enslaved. And they suffered. They cried out. And he heard them. So the first segment of the Exodus chapters 1 through 3, it shows the transition from guests to slaves. It shows the fact that they cried out to God. It shows that God listened to them. And it shows the story of Moses and how he grew up in Pharaoh's court. As a young man, he was adopted into the Egyptian royal court. And he grew up. He grew up in in Pharaoh's court. But he fled to the wilderness. And we won't go into all the details. Eventually he found out what his heritage was as as a Hebrew. And he thought he could set them free And he ended up killing an Egyptian as a result. And he fled into the wilderness. And when he was in the wilderness, God called to him to serve him. And Moses was a very reluctant, he was a reluctant servant. Let's just put it that way. So a key verse I'd like to highlight from this first segment. Read Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. But Moses protested, so God's calling him, telling him, I want you to serve me. Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you sent me to you. I am has sent me. I picked this verse because it show, it God reveals himself to Moses. God calls Moses from being a shepherd in the land of Midian and calls him, he, he sees the bush called the burning bush. He saw another faith tradition calls it the unburnt bush, which I think is an interesting way to put it. The unburnt bush, the burning bush. The bush that burns without being consumed and God Reveals himself to Moses, I am. And God declares a little bit about himself. He declares his self-existent status. I am who I am. Words that Jesus used in the New Testament to declare the fact that he is God. It chills up my spine I to think about that. Not only he revealed himself to Moses, he declared his self-existent, his, self, his authority, his sovereignty... And then he identified himself to Moses as the God of his ancestors. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's continuity. And after centuries, he's telling Moses, I'm the God that led you here. I'm the God. That, and I intend to live up to the covenant that I gave to you. I think it's just a magnificent description of, how, of, of God condescending to reveal himself to Moses and then to, to the Hebrew people as well. So the scarlet thread of this first segment, the scarlet thread, is Moses is saved as a baby. So the pharaoh sent out an order that the Hebrew midwives were to kill. They were to kill the Hebrew male children. But Moses was hidden by his mother, and then he was set afloat on the river, and that's, he was found by the Egyptian royal court, and that's how he came to be part of the Egyptian royal court's family. But he was preserved as a baby, and, f- and raised in Pharaoh's household. Of course, the immediate connection, the immediate scarlet thread is the fact that Jesus was preserved from Herod. If you roll the clock forward, 2,000 years, the same thing happened. Herod in jealousy and rage, we say rage, it was more like a cold calculation. He said, kill the Hebrew children. And Jesus was preserved. And in fact, he went to Egypt. And there's a scripture that says, out of Egypt... I have called my son. So this symbolism of Moses being saved as a baby ties directly to Jesus being saved as a baby. And Jesus goes back to Egypt. Moses was in Egypt. He came out of Egypt. Jesus was saved as a baby. He went into Egypt and he came back out of Egypt as a young man. Such a strong, such a strong connection there. The things that come to my mind as I think about this, this, this trait, this ruthlessness, this rage, this hatred for children satan hates us there's a scarlet thread there's also a black thread that goes through scripture as well you think of god's promise to eve he said your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent and cain tried to murder abel which was her seed pharaoh mur- tried to murder and did murder the hebrew children does anyone ever see the movie prince of egypt came out to- over 20 years ago at this point I remember watching it and thinking, ah, it's going to be a Pixar, Disney sort of softball thing. Does anyone remember that movie? Does anyone remember the scene where they talked about the killing of the Hebrew children? I was shocked and impressed. That showed the children being thrown into the river and the crocodiles waiting to eat them. I'm like, this is hardcore. And the music was amazing, too, as well. So that, that image, and you have Cain killing Abel. You have Pharaoh killing the Hebrew children, you have the Canaanites sacrificing their children to the pagan idols for centuries. You have Herod trying to kill Jesus, killing the Hebrew children. And that black thread comes all the way to today, the modern horror of abortion. I, I, take, it, I take it as Satan's rage, his continued rebellion against God, his hatred for those of us who God favors And I'm so grateful that we have a chance to do something positive. Not just make an angry statement, not just get upset, but we have a chance to really serve and bless and express appreciation to the men and the women who pour out their hearts and lives to serve the women who are in vulnerable positions. The women that are trying to decide whether or not kill their unborn baby. And they are, those women, they need our help. They need our love, they need our support, they need our resources. I'm so delighted to be able to support that. Personally, so delighted as a family that we're coming together to encourage them and to serve them. Satan's whispering in their ear, too, your life will be better if you kill your baby. It's something that's been going on for 4,000 years, and we should be mindful of that. We should find a constructive, loving way to oppose it, and we can by supporting the Columbia Pregnancy Center. By loving these women... Not trying to shame them or make them feel guilty, but loving them. And if we love them, then they are in a better spot to give the gift of life to their own babies. And then their lives will be so much better off as a result. This is very practical stuff. Very practical stuff. Second segment of Exodus. Moses leads his people, chapters 4 through 14. So, of course, we're, we're cruising through here at a high level. Moses confronts Pharaoh. He comes back from the wilderness, he confronts Pharaoh, he says, Let my people go. Again, iconic statements. Last week we talked about phrases from Genesis that kind of echo in our mind. There are phrases in Exodus that echo in our mind. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, No. In fact, he said no 10 times. And that was bad. Because he wasn't just saying no to Moses, he was saying no to God. And he said that God, the more Pharaoh said no, he says, God hardened his heart. And the final step, final time of him saying no, these plagues were ravaging Egypt. The final plague was the death of the firstborn. And God used this terrible tragedy, the death of the firstborn, to institute the critical observation, the central observation for Judaism, and central for Christianity as well, the Passover. I think it's interesting, too, in the Passover, when God instituted the, he he sent the plague, sent the final plague of the death of the firstborn. It didn't just afflict the Egyptians, but it afflicted the Israelites, too. And God said, paint your door, kill the lamb, paint your lintel with the blood of the lamb. He didn't say, you'll be fine, don't worry about it, you're part of my family. He said, you have to be covered, too. You have to be covered, too. And we have to be covered, too. We're not exempt because of how we grow up. Because where we grow up or what family we grow up in, each person has to paint the lintel of their heart with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the modern application of that. Of course, Pharaoh released Israel. He changed. He lost his son. He was grieved. He said Israel could go and then changed his mind. Moses is leading them out into the desert. comes up to the Red Sea. Egyptians are bearing down on them. I'm almost afraid to ask, has anyone ever seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, which, is, which, which was made even before I was born. Anyone seen that? If you haven't, it's worth seeing. Definitely worth seeing as a family. So very dramatic. The Israelites are up against the sea. Egyptians are chasing them, and God parts the Red Sea. An amazing miracle. The Israelites walk across safely. The Egyptians chase. God collapses the sea on them and destroys their army. An amazing miracle. An amazing rescue of God, of the Israelite people. Brought them out of slavery and oppression for four centuries. Key verse for this segment. Exodus 12, verse starting verse 27. And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. They did just as the Lord commanded. For once they did as the Lord commanded. And that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt from the firstborn son of the Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Everybody, everybody was subject to that. Just like each of us is subject to God's judgment without the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This passage shows that God is faithful. It's a couple things. One, it shows God is faithful to his covenant. He rescued Israel. It also showed that he will punish sins. I think that's the thing we, we have to understand and keep in mind. God loves us. He provides a way out for us, but he will punish sin. He's gracious, and loving, giving. He's also holy and righteous, and he will punish sin. And everybody is under God's authority. Everybody must repent. Everybody must turn to him. And if you do, the good news is he says yes. If you turn to him, he doesn't say no. It doesn't matter what you've done. Or how serious your sin is. Moses was a murderer and God used him. Each of us, no matter what we've done, He He will offer us forgiveness and peace and grace. But the only way that happens is through the blood. You must paint the lintels of your heart, the doorframe, door frames go up, across, and down, right? That's called a lintel. We must it must be painted with the blood of Christ. The blood of the lamb. Scarlet thread for this section is the Passover. The Passover, it's a holy celebration for the Jews. It's a representation of redemption through blood, only blood. The lamb had to die. The door had to be painted. Everybody had to be inside that home for the angel of death to pass over them. Redemption through blood, there is no other way. I can't be good enough. I can't be sorry enough. I used to think as a young man, if I'm sorry enough for what I did, God will forgive me. No, He said, David, I had to die for you. Your being sorry is not enough my death and your faith and what I've done your faith and the promise that I made to you that's what forgives you, not the fact that you feel bad about it, it's your faith in me, of course Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion as a Jew, he was very determined to celebrate that final Passover he was looking back through history to that first Passover he's celebrating with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion and he established a sacrament that we will observe later today, remembering him, the fact that his body was broken and his blood was shed, just like the lamb for the Passover. This is a direct reference. The Passover, the killing of the lamb, the shedding of the blood, it's a direct reference to Christ's crucifixion and his suffering. Third segment, Wandering the Wilderness, chapters 15 through 19. So, first of all, Israel started off, they were, they were happy. Yay, our team won! The Egyptians lost. And they praised God. Thankfully, they at least made the effort of praising God. And then about five minutes later, they were complaining. Because it was hot. And they were thirsty. And they were hungry. And they grumbled against God almost immediately as they started walking through the wilderness and going where, they were, where Moses was leading them. And God faithfully provided for Israel. He provided them food in the form of quail and birds and meat. He provided them manna. He provided them water from a rock. He even protected them from hostile people that lived in the area, the Amalekites. He gave them protection all on all sides. And he confirmed his covenant with them too as a people. So he rescued them. He provides for them. He, he reminds them of his covenant and the fact that he is honoring his covenant. Key verse from this. And the next Exodus 16, 13. And the next morning the area around the camp was wet with dew, and when the dew evaporated a flaky substance, as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. Moses told them, It's the food the Lord has given you to eat. In other words, you'll eat it and you'll like it. But the flaky substance, that's manna. That is, it's like, that's another image. Manna from heaven, food from heaven. God provides some miraculous way of food from heaven. Each family went out and they collected what they wanted. They collected too much, it would rot. And course he said, don't collect too much, just eat what you need for the day. And of course, they would try to go out and collect a lot anyway, and they disobeyed. And even in that, but God still provided for them. The flaky substance that's described in this verse, that is manna. Scarlet thread, of course, manna from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats will not be hungry. Whoever eats of the bread that I offer will not be hungry. John 6:35. And then at communion he said take and eat, handed them the bread said take and eat. This is my body. Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the manna from heaven. He used that imagery very often talking about bread. It's God's gift to people, even to a grumbling people just like Jesus is a gift to me. They give to you when we don't deserve it, even when we're grumbling against God. And let's be clear, we're no different than those grumblers. We might be tempted to look at Pharaoh and judge him, oh, hard heart, bad guy, glad he died, glad he suffered. The Israelites, awful people out there wandering in the wilderness, but each one of us has the same tendency to sin and to grumble. But God freely gives to us what we need even in the face of our grumbling. Next segment, the law is given, chapters twenty through thirty-one. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Hard to overemphasize. Hard to overemphasize this. He's providing for them. He led them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He also the Ten Commandments are our moral law, and he also gave them the civil law at the same time. These laws, these revelations to God, letting him God letting us know what he requires from us on a moral basis, and giving us instructions on how to order our society. These are special revelations. This is mercy from God. There's nothing worse than feeling like someone's angry at you, and you don't know what you did. You don't know how to make it right. God is merciful to us, and he lets us know what's required of us. And he ratified, again, confirms the covenant of blood that he's established from ancient times. And then finally, he gives the specifications for the tabernacle. What's a tabernacle? Tabernacle. If you read this passage, you'll see it's a long description of a tent that he ordered them to build in the wilderness. Would be the center of their worship, something that they could build, pack up, and tear down, and as they would need to do a lot over the decades that followed as they wandered through the wilderness. It was to be the center of their worship, and he had exact descriptions of what he wanted them to do and how to build it, and what it would consist of. Digging into that, digging into all the description of the tabernacle. Each, each piece is symbolic of Christ and the mission that he fulfilled. It's worth you spending some time looking at that at some point. Key verse for this section, Exodus 24, 7 and 8. He took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. And they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant that the Lord has made with you, giving, and giving you these instructions. So it's tough to choose a key verse for this, right? So this is the verse with the Ten Commandments. They're important, of course. But this, this verse here in this passage, I chose this one because it confirms the blood, that God, the covenant that God gives to the people is confirmed through blood. Confirmed initially through the blood of the animals, and, initially, and then secondly, and finally, in the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ. It continues. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up on the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel under his feet, they seemed to be a surface, this brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal. They ate and drank in his presence. Then the Lord said to them, come up to me on the mountain and stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, in which I have inscribed the instructions and commandments to you, so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. God ratified his covenant, the people fellowship in the presence of God and they get a vision of what that means for the future and they enjoy the protection of his covenant. He gives the Ten Commandments to, to Moses for the people. Scarlet Thread here, a little bit different twist. Instead of talking about how these events escalate for a prophecy of Jesus Christ, I just want to remind you that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ made a direct reference to the Ten Commandments and he escalated them. He escalated them from like just a mere act of outward obedience, like honoring the Sabbath, or don't, don't kill people, don't lie, don't do these things, which we should absolutely not do these things. But he reminded people, and he said, the true heart of this is we're escalating. This, it's, it's about your heart. If you're angry at somebody, it's the same as killing them. If you lust after someone, it's the same as committing adultery. Jesus Christ escalated the Ten Commandments from something that was an outward obedience and reminded them that it's God's once our hearts. The law is to be written on our heart, not just on tablets of stone. It's also, I think, a prophecy of the fact when Jesus is escalating that. He's also saying at some point, I'm going to give you the basis. I'm going to give you the power for doing that. You will have the power to do this. He doesn't give us an instruction that we can't obey. He says, I'm going to give you the ability to follow this. And that's a prediction that the Holy Spirit will be a gift to us in the future. Fifth segment, immediate rebellion. So all this good news, they have a vision of heaven, they have the government. this is like the third or fourth time the covenant's been confirmed. Israel saying, we will obey. And we need the picture of SpongeBob saying, five minutes later, they rebel. Because Moses is gone. And they immediately rebel. Because Moses is gone, they're feeling the heat, maybe of the desert, or boredom, I don't know what it was. And they said, we want something else to lead us. And they demand that Aaron make them a golden calf. And Aaron being the wise, solid rock of a man he was, says, okay, give me your jewelry, I'll melt it down and we'll make a calf here. Goes poorly for the people of Israel. Goes poorly for Aaron. Long story short, God intercedes on behalf of Israel. Says, God, please don't destroy them. And God renews his covenant yet again with Moses. Such a pattern here, such a pattern. God declares his covenant. People rejoice, people fail, God renews his covenant. People rejoice, people fail, God renews his covenant. Same thing happens in our life too. We may fail, but we should get back up through the power of the Holy Spirit. God renews his covenant, it depends on him, not on us. I may fail, you may fail. Don't despair. Instead, trust in him that he offers forgiveness and hope to you. Key verse. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses, who just led them through several miracles, this fellow Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the golden rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and give them to me. All the people took the golden rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods you brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sobering indictment of their hearts. Again, like I said, we marvel at the hard heart of Pharaoh. We marvel at the hard heart of of the Israelites being so fickle, rebellious so often. Israel saw God's glory and they rebelled. Jesus said 2,000 years later, if even they see someone raised from the dead, they won't believe. But let's be humble about our own flawed Hearts before we judge these people too hardly. Scarlet thread, our sinful nature. The, the Israelites, they rebelled immediately in spite of the grace and power that they saw from God. Paul wrote, he said, All have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. and That includes you and I. It was Pharaoh, it was the people of Israel. It was you and I as well. Moses becomes the intercessor. God, instead of confirming, because he, when he confirmed the, the covenant, he confirmed it with Moses. And it's a, it's a, a prophecy of, of Christ becoming our intercessor as well. Sixth segment, last one. Establishment of the sacrificial system, chapters 35 through 40. In, this, in these sections, we see the consecration, and the instructions on how to build the ark, additional instructions on the tabernacle, and the establishment of the priestly order. This is the establishment of the sacrificial system. When, you, when you, we think about the Old Testament, it is a system of ceremony and specifications and strict rules in the and the slaughtering of animals and the burning of grain and the pouring out. This is where it's established. This is the beginning of it right here. And God says, this is where, this is what my system consists of right now. The ark, the tabernacle, and the priests. And the and the system of atonement of sins through sacrifice is established. This is what we talk about when we talk about the old covenants. The old covenants. And then at the end of this, after all these instructions are given. And the people fulfill them, and they pair the ark, and they build the tabernacle, and they, and they, and they um, equip the priests. It says as they're consecrating, it says God's glory filled the completed tabernacle, which is amazing. So we're going to see in the weeks ahead as we continue through the Pentateuch that God, Israel's time in the wilderness was not complete. God gives them additional instructions that we'll continue seeing in, in the next couple of weeks, and they wandered in the wilderness, and God led them. Exodus ends in saying God led them. To the tabernacles so there was a column of fire at night and a column of smoke during the day. And he led them um, through the wilderness for the next couple of generations. So key verse here for the sacrificial system. The firstborn of every animal belongs to me, including the firstborn males from your herds of cattle and the flocks of your sheep and goats. A firstborn donkey may be bought back by the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. If you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. No one may appear before me without an offering. You must buy back your firstborn sons. Again, the harking back to the Passover. No one may appear before me without an offering. Establishment of animal sacrifice, mandatory redemption of firstborn sons. And no one may appear without an offering. That includes us. We may not appear before God without the offering that Jesus Christ made for us. Our offering, thank goodness, is Jesus. He freely gave himself for us. Scarlet thread, quickly go through this. The glory of God filling the tabernacle. It's a picture of the new covenant and the glory of God. Jesus is the great high priest, it says in Hebrews 4. It says in Hebrews chapters 8 through 10, that everything laid out in the Old Testament is a copy and shadow of heavenly things that were happening. Something else I think is interesting too, talking about the presence of God. It says, Paul wrote, and says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That is the fulfillment of the of the purpose of the tabernacle in the temple. And then the final image, New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, the tabernacle in, in New Jerusalem is filled with God's glory as well. It all ties together from past to, to eternity future. Here's the, one of the closing verses of Exodus. The, the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord it filled the tabernacle. The completed work that God brought together, it glorified him. So bonus tie together here. So we have we have a scarlet thread, we have a black thread, and we have what I call the golden thread. We have images of God's glory overwhelming people as covenants are revealed. Think of Genesis fifteen seventeen, when God fulfilled his covenant to Abram out in the wilderness. Abram fainted, flaming torches sealed the covenant that God made with him. Exodus forty 34 and 35, the tabernacle is consecrated. It's filled with God's glory. Second Chronicles 5, the temple is consecrated and it's filled with God's glory and they can't stay within it. Matthew 17, 2, Jesus takes three of his closest followers up on the mount, meets with Moses and Elijah. His glory fills the area so that they can't sustain it. And then finally the image of Revelation 21, New Jerusalem is filled with the glory of God. This thrills my heart. From the beginning from Genesis all the way to Revelation. His glory, his completion. When he completes something, his glory fills it. And that's what we have to look forward to. It's his children, as those who put faith in him. It all ties together. So applications. Some things to cover here and meditate on as we prepare for um, the children's segment and for communion. One, acknowledge your sin. I'm a sinful person, I've done things wrong. You are a sinful person. who may not know you. I know you've screwed up at some point in your life. It may be small, it may be big. Forgiveness is available. Repentance is an option. Repent and call on the Lord. He will be faithful. Don't harden your heart, don't rebel against Him. When you fall down, get back up and move forward again through His power and grace. Respond to God's call to faith. God called the people of Israel to faithfulness, and sometimes they responded he calls, respond. If he calls, listen to him and respond to him. When he calls to you, don't push it off. Don't say later. Don't say it's too tough. Don't say I don't know. Open up the Bible. Call out to him. Ask someone who knows you and loves you. Stay faithful for the long haul. The Israelites had a long journey, and they stumbled a lot. One of the things that we ought to do is be faithful for the long haul. It's not easy. It's not easy. But depending on him, depending on his word, depending on those around us to support us, we can be faithful for the long haul. And then the end is God's glory. Be focused on the fact that when he makes a promise, he completes it. His ultimate goal is his glory. All right, we're going to pray. And then I'm going to have the kids come up. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. I just thank you for this image of Exodus. This morning we blitzed through it; it's like drinking from a fire hose to see your miracles, your power. It's so humbling to see the failures of the people and the nations, and then meditate on my own failures. And yet, it's so amazing to think of the goodness and the provision that you give. You gave, Lord. You provided lambs. You provided your own Son in payment for my sin. Thank you that it's such a clear picture of what's happening with Jesus when he was alive and here on earth. It's a clear picture of what's happening in heaven as well. What an amazing book this is. Amen. All right, kiddos, come on up. All right, so you know what? Today's message is about Exodus. And one of the things we talked about at Exodus is the Passover, right? And you know what? Some of the, the Jewish people, when they celebrate exodus passover they have what they call a ceremony does anyone know what that ceremony is called it's called the seder. and what they do they have a plate this plate is something that our jewish friends use to celebrate passover you know what the really awesome thing about it is this the each of these elements on this plate ties into the story we just heard about the angel that came the blood that was painted on the door and the lamb that was killed and it means something to the Jewish people we have deep respect for them and what those traditions mean for them but you know what one of the things we've talked about in our messages is that all the things that have deep meaning for the Jewish people also have deep meanings for us as believers in Jesus Christ and these things they directly point forward they, they call back what happened to the Jewish people, and they point forward to what Jesus is going to do. And we're going to talk about what each one of these things are. Our family has a tradition. Every year around Easter, we have a Seder meal, and we review these things, and we meditate on what Jesus did. So first of all, this, one, this little dish here, you pass it when you're at the table together, you pass this dish around, and this is called cheroseph. And this is made of apples and cinnamon and sugar and stuff like that. It's actually pretty tasty. Who knows what this represents? Anyone heard this story before? This represents the bricks that the Israelites were forced to make when they were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were enslaved, and the Egyptians made them build cities. This represents the bricks. And it reminds us as believers in Jesus that we... We're once slaves, too. We're slaves of sin. And Jesus set us free. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, who knows what this is? Hummus. Well, that looks like hummus. It's close. But if you took a mouthful of that, you'd get a surprise. What is it? It's horseradish. Is horseradish, like, awesomely yummy? Has anyone had, who's had horseradish? What's it taste like? Is it like, is it sweet? No, it kind of lights your mouth on fire, doesn't it? Makes your nose, you feel it right up here when you eat it. It was our kids' favorite part of our Seder meal. Because we put it on matzah crackers and say, eat it. And it can be kind of bitter. This is the bitter herbs. The Jewish people put this on the plate to represent the bitter herbs. It's the bitterness of captivity. When when, when someone tells you you have to do something you don't want to do, it's not fun, is it? And sometimes it's the same thing as believers, as people that are seeking after God. If we are trapped in our sin, eventually, at first it seems great, and then afterwards it's bitter and it hurts a lot. If so you would taste this, and you'd be reminded of the bitterness of sin. Third, what's this? An egg. An egg. So what kind of egg is this? Do you think this is a regular egg? Would I, would I bring a fresh egg here? I'm not going to do it. This is a hard-boiled egg. So when you crack the shell of a hard-boiled egg, is is anything going to fall out? What's going to fall out? A whole egg is going to fall out, right? Crack a a fresh egg and and it falls on the floor. You're going to pretty much have to call the dog to come lick it up, right? But with this, you have to take 15 minutes to peel all the eggshells off of it because it's hard. This represents the hard heart of who had a hard heart in our story we just heard today, who the name begins with a P. What's the name of the Egyptian king? Anyone know? Pharaoh. That's right. Pharaoh had a hard heart. Pharaoh had a hard heart. This egg represents the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. You know what it also represents for us too? We have hard hearts before we know Jesus. Our hearts are hard. We're dead in our sin, in fact. Is ever a chicken ever going to come out of this egg? Nope. It's dead. And our hearts are dead without faith in Jesus Christ as well. That's what the symbolism there is. Next one here. What's this? It's a bone. You want to pass that around? Let everyone touch it. Yeah, don't put it in your mouth. You can smell it if you want. But it is a lamb bone, and we've used it in our Seder meals as a family. This this reminds us that the lamb was slain. Its blood was shed. It's kind of gross, isn't it? This, for the Jewish people, this represents the death of the lamb. But for us, as believers in Jesus Christ, who is this? what does this bone remind us of? Who died? The lamb, that's right. And what's, what's the lamb's name? Jesus, the easiest answer in all of Sunday school history. Jesus died. It reminds us that he died and he was crucified because of my sin, because of my hard heart. Next, salt water. This is a little bowl of salt water. Again, you, don't want, you probably don't want to drink it. It would be kind of make your nose wrinkled up. This is, represents the parting of the Red Sea. But you know what it represents for us as believers? It represents the fact that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we trust him to pay for our sins, we get baptized. We get baptized to express our faith and to show that this water is representative. And you know what it's representative of? Coming into the water, under the water, and out of the water It's representative of of the Jewish people. They have parsley. And this is their freedom. This is their freedom that they have. And for a believer, this parsley is new life that we have in Jesus. We trust him. Our sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit lives with us. And we have new life in him. So this makes it really easy to remember. It does a couple things. It reminds us that we have a tradition with our Jewish friends is the foundation of our faith and all of this connects us to the past and all this points forward to the future and it helps us to remember the really good news of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for these children. Uh, Help us to be mindful and appreciate what you showed us in the Old Testament and how it points forward to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So instead of a closing song, I'd like you to take out this paper that you have it's, at the top. It says, we should have been content. So it's a responsive reading. It's part of the Seder meal. It ties in ex- what's happening in the book of Exodus. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect as believers as well, all that he's done, what our legacy is, what our history is, and what he's done for us. So it's sim- super simple. I will read, as the, I'll do the leader part. It says, I'll read this, and then you all have the extremely difficult spot of saying we should have been content. When we're finished with this, then we will observe communion. So let's go ahead and start. If he had rescued us from the Egypt, but not punished the Egyptians, we have been if he'd punished the Egyptians, but not destroyed their gods, we have been if he'd destroyed their gods, but not killed their firstborn, we should have been content. if he'd killed their firstborn, but not given us their property, if he'd given us their property, but not divided the Red Sea before us. We should have been if he'd divided the Red Sea for us, but not drowned our oppressors. We should have been if he'd drowned our oppressors, but not supplied us in the desert for 40 years. We if he'd supplied us in the desert for 40 years, but not brought us to Mount Sinai. We should have been if he'd brought us to Mount Sinai, but not given us the Torah. If he'd given us the Torah, but not brought us to the land of promise. We should have made content. If he'd brought us to the land of promise, but not built us the temple. We should have made content. If he'd built the temple, but not provided permanent salvation. We should have made content. But praise the Lord. God provided permanent salvation through the sacrifice of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen.